Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book and author-related news, my current reads, and any updates about my life, and discuss a quarter of our monthly book club pick, which this month is All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. Welcome back to another episode. I believe this is episode eight. I want to say of the podcast, which is incredible. I'm so, so happy that everyone has been enjoying it. And so far, it seems to be really enjoying All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode because I typically have been doing some sort of an outline about things I want to talk about. Um, I definitely still have notes for the second half of the podcast, which is all about all the dangerous things. I have a lot, a lot, a lot to say. Um, We should be about halfway through the book at this point if you are following along for the book club. We should be up to chapter 31, which in the hardcover edition, which is what I'm reading from Book of the Month, we are about halfway at this point. And I am really, really enjoying it. And like I said, just two seconds ago, it seems like a lot of you guys are too. So really, really excited about that. So like I said, plenty of notes on that. But I don't have a ton planned or scripted for the first half of this episode because I I don't really have a lot going on. So I love that. I'm sure you guys are listening being like, oh, great. Like, (laughs) this is going to be really riveting until we can get to the um, book club part of the podcast. But I do just want to talk a little bit openly with you guys about feeling like I'm in a reading slump. Like, this may not take very long and this episode might be quite a bit shorter than normal. Honestly, I'm recording this on the Monday that it's supposed to be live and it will be live, just not typically. I usually make the podcast live around 8 a.m. or so, but it's going to be more later in the afternoon this evening. <laughs> I cannot talk. I was going to say later on in the afternoon this evening, but it's just going to be a little later today. And I know that that's okay. I have to give myself some grace. I had a really busy week, really busy weekend. And I shared a little bit about that on my Instagram actually this morning. So I do want to read you guys what I said, because a lot of people are feeling similar. Here we go. So I said, I wanted to share a little bit about where I'm at with my reading goals and my life updates. I have not finished a single book this month and we're halfway through. Picking up a book seems to be the last thing I want to do these days. Life has gotten really stressful in the past three weeks and I shared a bit about that on my podcast, The One Woman Book Club. My job is really getting very busy as we're headed into our conference season this May. I've been extremely anxious and worried and mostly about things that are out of my control, which I said I don't want to get into the nitty gritty details, but I could really use your positive thoughts and good vibes. But if you listened last week, It's so silly, I know, but the majority of my stress is coming from something that should be bringing me a lot of joy. And so many people in my life are like, oh my gosh, like you really shouldn't be worried about this. Like you're really getting in your head, but it's kind of really showing me that I just, I need to address 
the worry that I have about things that are out of my control. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm waiting on my passport to come back for a trip I'm going on five weeks from today, actually. Expedited my passport and it's still not here. And it's been about six weeks. Um, and I had a hiccup with it halfway through where I needed to resend in my application because of a printing error. So I've just been really, really stressed about that. It's a trip I've been really looking forward to. It's for a good friend's wedding. And I think it's just made me realize like my anxiety is probably something I should address because I I have talked to many people about this, including my local representative's office. I have a caseworker helping me just in case things are prolonged in any way. Um, And everyone seems to think I have plenty of time and I'm doing all the necessary steps that I need to do in order to get this passport back in time. But unfortunately, it's like living rent free in my head and it's all I can think about. And if you're my friends listening to this, you're like, oh my God, please, I don't want to hear about it anymore. But anyway, I just could, again, really use your positive thoughts and good vibes with things like that. But at the end of the day, I said on my Instagram, I'm turning to reality TV shows and spending time with friends and family more than I'm turning to books to calm my anxiety. And I hope that starts to change. But right now it isn't. And I also talked a little bit about the Instagram and the bookstagram app in general. And I said this app is tough. Sometimes I love the friendships I have the opportunities I've been given, and sharing my reviews and thoughts. But some weeks, it's tougher than others to post, especially when I'm not reading. And I compare myself to the hundreds of other people people on here who are reading tons of books every month. So I'll be posting when I can and hopefully things start to turn around soon. I said as for the podcast, it's going up a little later than usual, but it will be up today. Just know that if you're going through anything similar, you're not alone. This app is meant to bring us joy, not to steal it. And if you have any books to get me out of a severe reading slump, please put them in the comments. So I know I've talked about this. This month has just not been a reading month for me. Like I think at the end of the day, like when work is really stressful for my nine to five job, I don't want to, I want to like turn my brain off at the end of the day. So I've been like last week, pretty much every single day after work, I either saw a family member or went out with my friends. We did like trivia last week. And I've just been filling my time with like getting my mind off of my anxieties that I've been having. Um, And especially like if I am home and I did have a busy work day, I'm not finding myself turning to a book because it's something that I have to like actively do almost where I can just put on Love Island or The Bachelor or something stupid and just shut my mind off. So I've been leaning more towards stuff like that, which is difficult because I have a million, a million, a million books I want to read. And especially since I have the podcast now, I want to be talking about my book recommendations all the time, but it's just not something that I've been able to do. And I don't know if that's winter blues. I definitely have some winter blues. It is freezing here in Maine and we are getting another nor'easter tomorrow another eight to 12 inches, which is really, really tough because I am just ready for sunshine. And then I think, oh my gosh, I'm ready for sunshine. And then I think I have this beautiful vacation to Punta Cana coming up and I just need my passport. So it's just a spiral out of control. And then, you know, posting to Instagram has been tough. I have a couple of reviews I need to post. But other than that, it's been really hard for me to find inspiration for things to post when I'm reading a lot of books and have like a really active TBR list 
or have roundups to do. Um, I like to do books like roundups and things like that seasonally. But because we're in this winter blues time, I'm sick of posting roundups that are like, okay, books to get out of like a winter blues, like books that feel like spring, like I want to post more like summer reads and things like that. Like I'm just kind of sick of the season we're in. And I'm just not feeling inspired to be posting. And a lot of the times I go through phases where it's like I feel really creative. And I'm using my Instagram as like an outlet. Then I go through other phases where I just have no motivation to post or to read. And that's where I'm at right now. And this is the hardest and longest period of time I felt that way about my Instagram page. And I'm I'm hoping I get out of it soon. And I'm hoping once like my busy season is over with work, and I'm hoping once I get my passport, I will get back into reading and like feel a little bit more motivated. But right now I'm just feeling pretty in the dumps, I guess you could say I'm feeling a little bit in the dumps. So that's just something I'm dealing with. But I do want to talk about books that have gotten me out of reading slumps, or if I were to have not read them yet, what books I think would get me out of a reading slump, just in case anyone is feeling something similar to what I'm feeling. I know a lot of my friends are also feeling like a lot of anxiety right now, for some reason, a lot of like winter blues sorts of feelings. So I feel like a lot of these books could probably get me out of a slump because they're really fast paced. I felt like I was in a different world when I read them and it really took me out of any anxiety that I was currently having. And I feel like that would really help others or maybe I should reread one of these, (laughs) honestly. So I'll be sharing um, five of my favorite books to get me out of a reading slump. First book I want to talk about is Cover Story by Susan Rigetti. This was all over Instagram last summer and like last spring. And it's an epistolary novel, which I didn't know when I picked it up. And if you don't know what an epistolary novel is, it's a book that's told all through like newspaper clippings and emails and diary entries and things like that. And this book is just completely bingeable. Like if it was a TV show, I would be binging all 10 episodes in one day. And I'm pretty sure I did finish this in one day. It's really short. It's really fun. And I think if you're looking for a book to get out of a reading slump, and maybe I should be following my own advice, an epistolary novel is a great way to do that because it really just doesn't even feel like reading almost. It just feels like you're reading like a collection of like diary entries. So I'm going to share my Goodreads review of this. I gave it four out of five stars and I finished it on May 31st of 2022. So last spring. And I said, wow, this was completely bingeable and fun. Finished it in a day because I couldn't put it down. Things we already knew because I already said them. Ever since I was a kid, I've loved when books are written through diary entries, letters, etc. So when I opened it up and saw that I was very excited. Side note, did you guys ever read letters from camp when you were a kid? That's a another one that was told primarily and only, I think, through letters that these kids at this camp were sending to their parents. And it was also like ads for the camp and stuff. And it was all like the camp counselors and the owners of the camp were like evil. And it was so, so good. And if you've read it, let me know because I loved that book. Um, Back to my review of Cover Story, I said, I went into this book completely blind and I highly recommend that for everyone. Only thing I knew was that there would be a twist ending. And holy shit, was that a twist I didn't see coming? And then this review on my Goodreads does have spoilers, so I don't want to read anymore. But if you have read this book, you know exactly what I mean. 
The twist in this is mind-blowing. And I remember when I finished it, I was like, I have to go talk to everyone on Bookstagram, like messaged all my friends being like, did you guys like, what the hell was that? Like what went on? And you want to go back and read the last like 50 pages and see what was going like it was just it was so 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 good so definitely recommend cover story by Susan Rigetti to get out of a reading slump and as a genre as a whole epistolary fiction I think would be perfect the next book I want to talk about is A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. I was actually just talking about this book this past weekend, and it has the perfect like magical realism thriller vibes, I feel like, to get you out of a reading slump. And it's a book that really sucks you into the world that it's being told from. And one I genuinely want to reread when I was talking about it this weekend, I was like, wait, I love this book. And I feel like I read it too fast. Like I want to go back and read it again. Let me pull up my Goodreads review of this one too. This one I gave five out of five stars, which I totally stand by. And I finished this in, on December 21st of 2021. So about a year and a half ago. And I said, this book was truly incredible, totally moody, atmospheric, and mysterious. It's extremely difficult to create a review without spoilers. So beware. I, I won't say anything on the podcast though. But one thing I want to point out is I called it atmospheric. And I feel like that is the perfect book to get lost in, like the perfect way to describe a book I would want to read if I was in a reading slump is something just completely atmospheric and moody. I said, I absolutely love the characters and the multiple points of view. The setting in itself was a character. The writing completely transported you into the woods of pastoral. The short chapters made me not be able to put this book down. Unfortunately, I guessed the twist pretty early on, but I'm not disappointed because it's that good. I really loved the direction the book went and how you never really knew what was real or fake. And I said I was totally enamored with it. And it's a must for mystery and horror lovers. So let me give you guys the Goodread synopsis too. It says, Travis Wren has an unusual talent for locating missing people. Hired by families as a last resort, he requires only a single object to find the person who has vanished. When he takes on the case of Maggie St. James, a well-known author of dark macabre children's books, he's led to a place many believe to be only a legend. Called Pastoral, this reclusive community was founded in the 1970s by like-minded people searching for a simpler way of life. By all accounts, the commune shouldn't exist anymore, and soon after Travis stumbles upon it, he disappears just like Maggie St. James. Years later, Theo, a lifelong member of Pastoral, discovers Travis's abandoned truck beyond the border of the community. No one is allowed in or out, not when there's a risk of bringing a disease, rot, into Pastoral. Unraveling the mystery of what happens reveals secrets that Theo, his wife Kala, and her sister B keep from one another. Secrets that prove their perfect, isolated world isn't as safe as they believed, and that darkness takes many forms. Whew, guys, as I'm reading that synopsis, I was like, this book was incredible. If you like something moody, atmospheric, spooky, creepy, like I said, I did guess the twist, but I know that most people and like many people that I've heard that love this book didn't guess the twist. So don't think that you automatically will. And like I said, and I've said this before in the podcast, if the twist is good enough, I will continue to read like, or if I sorry, if I guess the twist and it's good enough still, it's something that I will 1000% still give five stars to because I enjoyed it. And this one is just like that. And I just realized I didn't give the synopsis for cover story, which probably didn't help you want to pick it up, except that it's epistolary. So let me give you guys the synopsis for cover story too. 
It says, Netflix's Inventing Anna and Hulu's The Dropout meets Catch Me If You Can, a captivating novel about an ambitious young woman who gets trapped in a charismatic con artist scam. After a rough year at NYU, aspiring writer Laura Ricci is thrilled to land a summer internship at Elle magazine, where she meets Kat Wolf, contributing editor and enigmatic daughter of a clean energy mogul. Kat takes Laura under her wing, soliciting her help with side projects and encouraging her writing. As a friendship emerges between the two women, Laura opens up to Kat about her desperate struggles and lost scholarship. Kat's solution, drop out of NYU and become her ghostwriter. Laura agrees, and when the internship ends, she moves into Kat's suite at the opulent Plaza Hotel. Writing during the day and accompanying Kat to extravagant parties at night, Laura's life quickly shifts from looming nightmare to dream come true. But as Laura is drawn into Kat's glamorous lifestyle, Kat's perfect exterior cracks, exposing an illicit, shady world. So really, really good. And exactly like it says, it literally is like inventing Anna in the dropout. So, so good. All right. So the next one I want to talk about is one that I've already talked about on the podcast. So I don't want to give it too much time, but it's my favorite romance that I've ever read. And it's Every Summer After by Carly Fortune. Cannot wait to read Meet Me at the Lake when it comes out this spring. But I did want to give a romance a little bit of love since I am trying to keep, I want to get a few different genres within my my, you know, reading slump picks. Um, I gave it five stars. And I said, um, I finished this on May 31st of 2022. So clearly last May was a good reading month for me if I had read Every Summer After and Cover Story. I said, I had a feeling I was going to like this book, but I had no idea how much I was going to fall in love with it. This is by and far my favorite romance of the year and ever. (laughs) Um, Fans of Love and Other Words, 28 Summers and The Paper Palace are going to fall head over heels for this second chance romance. I'm a sucker for multiple multiple timelines, lakeside settings, and young love. This had all of that in droves, and I am just obsessed. Carly Fortune's writing was absolutely beautiful. It felt so raw and real. Sam and Percy's love flew off the page. I couldn't put this down and read it in a day and a half. I felt like I was in Barry's Bay growing up right alongside Percy. When they were young, it read a bit YA, but I love that, and I feel like it added so much to the story. And let me give you a bit of the synopsis from Goodreads too, and then we'll move on, because I know I always talk about every summer after, but if you have haven't read this yet. It is a true must. It is so good. They say you can never go home again. And for Persephone Frazier, ever since she made the biggest mistake of her life a decade ago, that has felt too true. Instead of glittering summers on the lakeshore of her childhood, she spends them in a stylish apartment in the city, going out with friends and keeping everyone a safe distance from her heart until she receives the call that sends her racing back to Barry's Bay and into the orbit of Sam Florick, the man she never thought she'd have to live without. For six summers through hazy afternoons on the water and warm summer nights working in his family's restaurant and curling up together with books, medical textbooks for him and work in progress horror short stories for her, Percy and Sam had been inseparable. Eventually that friendship turned into something breathtakingly more before it fell spectacularly apart. When Percy returns to the lake for Sam's mother's funeral, their connection is as undeniable as it has always been. But until Percy can confront the decision she made and the years she'd spent punishing herself for them, they'll never know whether their love might be bigger than the biggest mistakes of their past. So like I've said, I've talked about this one a lot, so I don't want to give it too much time. But if you're looking for the perfect romance, truly look no further. Every Summer After is so good. And I've really only heard positive things about it. Um, So it is definitely my top romance pick to get you out of a reading slump. The next book I want to talk about is one that I think many people who are listening and who are on Bookstagram have read. 
but it is The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. And I'm not sure if I've talked about this one in depth. I believe I talked about The Nightingale in my first episode, but not The Great Alone. And The Great Alone is by far my favorite Kristen Hanna book and probably my favorite historical fiction book I've ever read. So I feel like it is exactly the definition of atmospheric. It is so, so incredible and just completely swept me away. And I don't know if I've ever been as enthralled, like no better words than swept away by a book before. So let me give you the little Goodreads spiel spiel again. So I did give this five stars and I finished it on November 21st of 2021. I said, there are nearly no words to describe how much I adored this book. One of my favorite books of the year by far, an absolutely incredible sweeping story. I had been told by everyone on Bookstagram to read this, and I had been putting it off almost because I knew I was going to be an emotional mess reading it. Kristen Hanna is one of my all-time favorite authors, and her books never disappoint. This one just became my favorite. This was an absolute masterpiece. The description of the beauty of Alaska, the complicated and detailed look at loss and abuse, the immense love you felt between the characters. Kristen Hanna takes you on a complete journey from start to finish. I felt like I was transported to Alaska and that the characters were real. This is a must-read. This one is going to stay with me forever. If you have no idea what this book is about, I will now give the Goodreads synopsis. Alaska, 1974. Unpredictable, unforgiving, untamed. For a family in crisis, the ultimate test of survival. Ernst Albright, a former prisoner of war, comes home from the Vietnam War, a changed and volatile man. When he loses yet another job, he makes an impulsive decision. He'll move his family north to Alaska, where they will live off the grid in America's last true frontier. 13-year-old Lenny, a girl coming of age in a tumultuous time, caught in the riptide of her parents' passionate, stormy relationship, dares to hope that a new land will lead to a better future for her family. She's desperate for a place to belong. Her mother, Cora, will do anything and go anywhere for the man she loves, even if it means following him into the unknown. At first, Alaska seems to be the answer to their prayers. In a wild, remote corner of the state, they find a fiercely independent community of strong men and even stronger women. The long, sunlit days and the generosity of the locals make up for the Albright's lack of preparation and dwindling resources. But as winter approaches and darkness descends on Alaska, Ernst's fragile mental state deteriorates and the family begins to fracture. Soon the perils outside pale in comparison to threats from within. In their small cabin covered in snow, blanketed in 18 hours of night, Lenny and her mother learn the terrible truth. They are on their own. In the wild, there is no one to save them but themselves. It's so good, you guys. I wish I could read this for the first time again. I know a lot of people do that on Bookstagram, like books I would sell my soul to read for the first time again. And I've done that before too. And I don't know if I did that before I read this book, but if I didn't include it, I was crazy because it's just, it it truly is like one of my top five books of all time. And if there's any book on this list that could probably get me out of a slump, it is this one. And the last book I want to talk about that was a favorite of everyone last year that I feel like if I picked up today in the mood that I'm in, it would still make me happy and still be one of my favorite books and definitely get me out of the slump. And I know I've talked about it before and everyone always talks about it, but that is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. I'm sure you're incredibly sick of hearing about this book, but if you are one of the few who does not know what it's about, I will give you again everything I've done for the past four books. Gave it five stars. I finished it on July 21st of last year. And I said I couldn't put this book down. The characters were so complex and beautiful, so real 
and raw and frustrating. I didn't think I would love a story about video games this much, but it is so, so much more than that. If you know me, you know I love coming of age, character-driven books, and this is just that. I am truly in love with Sam's character and all that he went through. Sadie thoroughly frustrated me at times, but I loved her just the same. Sometimes it's harder for me to write a review when I really love a book, and that is the case here. Just gave me that feeling I get when I know it's a five-star read. Incredible. And in the Goodreads synopsis, it said, On a bitter, cold day in the December of his junior year at Harvard, Sam Major exits a subway car and sees amid the hordes of people waiting on the platform, Sadie Green. He calls her name. For a moment, she pretends she hasn't heard him, but then she turns and a game begins, a legendary collaboration that will launch them to stardom. These friends, intimate since childhood, borrow many, beg favors, and before even graduating college, they've created their first blockbuster, Ishigo. Overnight, the world is theirs. Not even 25 years old, Sam and Sadie are brilliant, successful, and rich, but these qualities won't protect them from their own creative ambitions or the betrayals of their hearts. Spanning 30 years from Cambridge, Massachusetts to Venice Beach, California, and lands in between and far beyond, Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is a dazzling and intricately imagined novel that examines the multifarious natures of identity, disability, failure, and redemptive possibilities in play, and above all, our need to connect and to be loved and to love. Yes, it is a love story, but it is not one you have read before. And it is just so good. And I don't want to harp on it too much. But if you haven't read this yet, it is definitely one that would get you out of a slump and one that you should be reading this year. So those are my five books to get out of a reading slump. Cover Story by Susan Rigetti, A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw, Honorable Mention to Spells for Forgetting by Adrian Young, which is very similar and reminds me a lot of History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. So that's like my honorable mention, I guess. Um, Every Summer After by Carly Fortune, The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna, and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. So thank you guys. I I guess I was able to talk for a lot longer than I thought I was going to be for this intro. Thank you for sticking with me and understanding that even through anxiety and rough times, uh, you know, we all have to just try to stay positive and remember that reading is a hobby. And if you create on Instagram like I do, doing that is really all for fun and doesn't have to be taken so, so seriously as I hold myself to such a high standard, I feel like a lot of the time, but I just need to remember it's all, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be fine. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So without further ado, let's get into this discussion of All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham for this week. Just a reminder, um, you should be up to chapter 31. If you are not, there will be spoilers ahead. So don't listen if you don't want the spoilers. But if you don't care, you can keep on listening. That's totally fine. And it's going to be a little bit different this week. Um, I hope you guys understand. Last week, Bookstagram was just not on my top priority list. Reading wasn't. It was a really tough week for me last week. If you haven't gotten that sense so far, I'm hoping this week is going to be better. But I did not have a chance to ask poll questions last week. I'm incredibly sorry. Um, But I will be doing that obviously going forward for this week. But it's going to be a little different. I'm just going to go through my notes. And I did have a chance to talk to a couple people in my life. So I'll throw in some of their theories as I go. But let's get started by going chapter by chapter on my notes. So in chapter 14, we learned there was a commenter that had written on that news article that Isabel keeps looking about. Um, They wrote, he's in a better place, but now it's gone. Had Isabel imagined it or was it really there? She takes Roscoe for a walk at 1am and sees a man sitting on his porch, which she finds odd, but honestly, not much else happens. And I think that man is just a red herring. Chapter 15 is a flashback chapter, and it's Isabel's mother and father having a conversation, and Isabel is listening in. Her mother doesn't want her father to leave for his job in Washington, and it seems like it's because she's afraid of being alone with the girls, especially Isabel. They know about Isabel sleepwalking, and Isabel knows her mother is afraid of her because of it. But I'm also getting the sense that Isabel's mom suffers from some sort of a mental illness herself, though that isn't explicitly said. Also, they talk about wanting to grow their family. So I do think I may be onto something with the potential miscarriage that I talked about in last week's episode. Chapter 16, we're back to now. And this is primarily just a setup chapter. Waylon comes to Isabel's house and they're going to start recording the podcast. He sees her wall of suspects and clues and asks if she did this all herself, etc. But really nothing else happens in chapter 16. In chapter 17, we learn that Waylon's sister was murdered, and that's why he's sort of in this industry of like true crime podcasting. It's really to help other people solve the mysteries that haunt them, like his sister's death or murder haunts him. When he said this, Isabel said she felt a familiar twisting pain. And I was wondering if that was referring to the fact that her own sister was murdered or is dead, or referring to a potential sister that died like Eleanor, like, you know, Margaret's doll. Also, when Waylon asks if he can interview or talk to other people in her life, she says her own family is completely off limits. Again, so much about her family that we don't know and are really just left in mystery about. We also learned that Isabel attacked a grocery store employee when she found out that he was on the sex offender list because she thought he had taken Mason, only to learn he was on it for public indecency and had nothing to do with it. And I guess that is the catalyst for why Ben left. And that is why Detective Dozier mentioned that she shouldn't do anything to cause a scene at the vigil in the last chunk that we read. Chapter 18 is a another flashback chapter, and it's 
pretty quick. Um, it's a chapter of the girls in their mother's studio on a hot July day. The house is the air conditioning in the house is broken. Um, and as they're looking around, they see a painting their mother did of Izzy standing in the middle of the marsh at night. So clearly, like I've mentioned, something is going on with Izzy and the marsh, just like we all suspected. In chapter 19, we're back to current times, and Isabel decided to go back to the house when she saw where she saw the man from the night before, the one that was sitting on the rocking chair. Um, and then when she gets there, she decides to sit in the same rocking chair that he did. And from this perspective, she can see into her own backyard, which kind of causes her to spiral and think, could the person, if they were sitting there that night, that Mason was taken, have seen whoever took Mason from his room? Then a man with red hair comes out and asks her what she's doing on his porch, which is fair. Obviously, she's in his rocking chair. And Isabel remembers him from when she went door to door asking people about Mason a year ago. Then he orders her to get off her porch, even after she asks him where he was Monday, because to her, it looks like someone she saw out of the corner of her eye at the vigil. So she's very, very suspicious of this man. She leaves Detective Dozier a message asking him to look into him. Um, I personally feel like that's all completely a red herring, but let me know if you guys think anything different. Then she gets a text from Casey saying the offer still stands if she wants to get together, which again, I find weird. It seems like she only worked the grit for a couple of months and it just doesn't seem like they were even that close from the flashbacks we've gotten at this point. And the fact that Casey really wants to hang out is very strange. Just my opinion. Um, chapter 20, we get a flashback to the Christmas party Isabel attended while working at the Grit. Um, she finally meets Ben's wife, Allison, there, and she's gorgeous. Then her and Ben share a somewhat flirty moment before Isabel revealing that she avoided him for weeks after that because working at the Grit was her dream. She did not want to compromise anything about that, um, but she insinuates that it wouldn't stay that way for long. In chapter 21, Isabel and Waylon chat over the phone and Waylon says his hotel stay is done, so he's heading home for now, but he'll continue with interviews with her over the phone. Then Isabel asks him to stay at her house, but it's just a bad idea, obviously. I'm sure we can all see that, but he does accept, so he's going to stay at Isabel's house. Then Isabel reopens a blank card from her parents with a check inside she has yet to cash. She calls it blood money and that they're giving it to her to provide their silence on something we don't quite know yet. Chapter 22 is a flashback. Margaret and Isabel sleep together in bed because it's so hot outside and that AC is still broken in their house. Their mother comes in to say goodnight. And Margaret mentions something about having her mom say goodnight to her doll, Ellie, too. The mom then says something cryptic about not forgetting Ellie. Um, and I'm still liking that idea that we talked about last week that Ellie could be another sister. And I'm definitely leaning towards that for sure. Chapter 23, we're back in current days. We learn that Isabel left the grit so that her and Ben could stay together. So that's something I had predicted in last week's poll. So happy to know that I was right about that unless it's a lie. But it does seem like she left so that her and Ben could be together. Um, she talks about how they had an emotional affair of sorts while he was married to Allison, getting drinks together after work and creating these inside jokes together, but they never physically cheated. She tells Waylon all of this as he cooks her dinner. Then a bombshell, we learn that Ben didn't get a divorce, that Allison died. 
And then in chapter 24, we learn that Allison committed suicide. She took too many pills. Casey tells Isabel this. We get a flashback to when Isabel learns about Allison's death, and Casey is the one who tells her. And Casey says, everybody has secrets. And at this point, I'm getting extremely suspicious of Casey. I put down here, is it possible she was having an affair with Ben too, and is mad that Isabel is the one who finally got him? I don't know. I wish I had asked that as a poll question this week. Chapter 25, I said, why did Whalen automatically assume Allison's death was a suicide? He just, when he learned that Allison died, the first question he asked was suicide. I thought that was very strange and it seemed really fishy to me. My mind wouldn't automatically go there. Then Whalen asks her if she thinks it's weird that first Allison died and then Mason went missing and then he left again. And we know now he has someone new. So is that sort of some sort of like a pattern? Then Whalen asks her to describe something personal about Mason and Isabel decided to tell him that being a mother isn't what you expect it to be. And she talks about how she had intrusive thoughts when he was first born, which is a symptom of postpartum depression. And Something that I just wanted to say, I hope that people reading this don't immediately go to the fact that she could have killed him because of those thoughts, because it is completely normal to feel burnt out as a mom. And I feel like that's a theme that keeps coming up. I realize within this book, it's that mom guilt that she talked about a few chapters ago, dealing with postpartum depression and people kind of assuming that she could have killed Mason because of those things, which I think is, you know, it's a bigger topic to bring up. But I feel like um, Stacey Willingham is definitely doing that on purpose. In chapter 26, Waylon asks if there's footage from the baby monitor from another day or days leading up to the kidnapping. They watch one and then Waylon says he thought they would have seen the window from the camera, but Isabel explains not from the angle the camera, camera is set up at. Then Waylon seems no longer interested in the project and goes to bed. And I feel like this is almost just to make sure that he was covering his tracks to make sure he wouldn't have been seen by the camera. Like he wanted to get that out of the way first. So I'm wondering if there's a little bit more to his story than we're getting. Um, Then Isabel watched more footage and she saw herself sleepwalk into Mason's room and stand over his crib silent for over two hours, similar to what she did as a kid. Chapter 27 is a flashback, and this is a huge one. We see Isabel waking up in her bed without Margaret, which she finds strange because they went to bed together. This is immediately following that night that from the last flashback chapter. As she steps onto the carpet, it's very wet, and it smells like the marsh a lot in her room. Like She feels like she's in the marsh almost. She's wearing a different nightgown than the one that she wore to bed, and there's pluff mud behind her ear, which is from the marsh. She goes downstairs, and her parents won't even look at her, and they said Margaret had an accident and that the police are on their way so that she so she should go to her room. <sighs> Very creepy. You wonder, did Isabel hurt her? Where is Margaret? Are they going to blame Isabel because they know it's easy to use her sleepwalking as an excuse when really her mom killed her? Did they send Margaret to live with a relative because they were afraid of what Isabel would do to her? Definitely something going on with the marsh. Is Isabel's mom like psychic in some way and she predicted this would happen? There's just a lot, a lot, a lot that we have to learn there. Chapter 28, we're back to today, and nothing really much happens in this chapter, just that Isabel is starting to doubt herself because she sees the similarities between whatever happened with Margaret and what happened with Mason. Waylon finds her where he left her the night before, which is just sitting in the dining room, so she did not really sleep again. In chapter 29, Waylon and Isabel walk to go get a coffee, and on the way, they see Ben with his new girlfriend. I immediately thought that it could be Casey, but Isabel says she recognizes her slightly, but she can't place from where, and obviously she recognized Casey earlier right away. 
Then Waylon says she looks just like Isabel, but Isabel thinks she looks just like Allison. So clearly Ben does have a type and I don't like the direction that that might be heading. In chapter 30, it was a flashback to Allison's memorial and Isabel did not want to go, but the whole office was going, so she had to. She said Casey was wearing a skimpy dress, which I found interesting. Was she trying to get Ben too? Like I said, I'm curious if she potentially either had a crush on Ben or Ben had like promised to be with her or something like that. Then at the memorial, Ben says that Allison had a pill problem and they hadn't been happy in a long time. I am personally not buying it. It's a huge red flag for Ben in my book if there wasn't one already. I truly don't believe she had a pill problem. And now I'm wondering if he did something to Allison because he wanted the new younger Allison in the form of Isabel. And what if Ben did something to Mason because he wanted to frame Isabel for it so we could leave her for the new younger version of her? Then they kiss at the memorial of all places at his dead wife's memorial. And then someone calls Ben back inside. Isabel hides and she sees that person pick up her lipstick stained champagne glass. So someone knows her and Ben were out there together. And that's where we finished. I am very excited to read this book. I know this whole episode has been a little bit gloom and doom and a little bit about how I'm just in this reading slump, but I am very excited to pick this up for the next chunk because this is a really, really great thriller and thrillers in general are a genre that I can really get behind and still want to read when I'm feeling a little bit down. So I have a lot of thoughts here. We now know that Isabel hasn't seen Margaret since that night that we really don't know much else about except that the police are coming over um, because she mentioned forgetting how she smelled and her hair color and all of that and that she's afraid that that's going to happen with Mason too. Then there's Waylon who seems way too interested in this case and not just because he's a podcaster. Why did he care so much about the angle of the video from the baby monitor? And then what about Casey? Had she wanted Ben too, and because Isabel got him, she's jealous and seeking revenge for after all this time? Did Ben do something to Mason in order to get out of his marriage? Is Margaret really dead? Did the mom do something to Margaret and they framed Isabel for it? Is Margaret alive and in hiding and she took Mason? What is going on? So there is just so, so much going on. There are so many theories. There are so many little bits and pieces to uncover. And so sorry again for not getting in the poll questions from last week, but I do definitely intend on putting them out this week so we can talk about it in the final, um, in the third chunk of this book. And that is all I have for today. Thank you guys so much for watching and for being so supportive of me in this journey and just giving all your kind thoughts and well wishes. I really, really appreciate it. Um, next week, we will read another chunk in this book. Be sure to go to my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook. And I do have a reading schedule put up for this book um, on my page. So just be sure to go ahead and check that out if you're confused about what page you should be up to or what chapter you should be up to for next week. And that is all that I have for today. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. And I will talk to you all in the next episode. Bye guys.
Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.